What's up, you beauties? Welcome to High and Wide, episode 4.10. I'm your host, Jim, and I'm joined by the host of our Hitchcock Full Circle, Jack Smith. If you're not listening live, please make sure to subscribe, follow, and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Spreaker. Shout out to our affiliate site, fullpresscoverage.com and bellyupsports.com. While you're listening to the episode, please check out our site, hwhockey.net. Before we get to the topics, today's episode is brought to you by my bookie. So NBA lock of the season. NBA season is, is underway. What is a lock? A lock is simply put, a bet you can't lose. And with my bookie, you can't lose with the NBA lock of the season. You bet on either team to score between the Dallas Mavericks or the Denver Nuggets this Friday, you win. An NBA game has never gone scoreless, so you know this is a sure bet. Place your bet, they score, you win, that easy. Get paid Friday, wake up Saturday, and throw down on UFC 267. This weekend, my bookie is also giving all users a $100 risk-free wager on the light heavyweight championship fight between John Blackowitz and Glover Teixeira. I hope I said those names right, man. Two of the toughest names, and they put them on this thing. So don't wait. Head to mybookie.ag now and use my promo code high and wide and get in on the nba lock of the season that's promo code high and wide and it's a lock get your season started with the win thank me later bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie now we do have a guest for the episode ladies and gentlemen let me just bring him in real quick there he is the one and only the best looking if not the best looking man on flyers twitter the legendary host of Flyers Daily, Mr. Jason Martinez. Jason, thanks for hanging out with us once again, man. How are you? I've never been called the best looking, so you I can are, tell man. you guys, I can smell bullshit from a mile away, and that is I, I, I got my hair cut the same way as you. Yes, not by <laughs> choice, right? Are we allowed to curse, by the way? I just yeah, did. go for it, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, guys, the Flyers have finally finished their four-game homestand. It seemed like the longest homestand in the world. Only four games, though. Uh, they come out of it 2-1-1 one, and one with, in my opinion, a lot of positives. You know, uh, like I said, they ended the home streak 2-1-1. One, and one. Could it have been better? Yeah, absolutely. I think they could have come out of it 4-0, but hey, it's a new team coming together. Uh, Jace, I want to I get your take first. First impressions uh, on this team as a whole through four games. Well, yeah, I mean, it was – I, I termed it – yeah, it was a pretty good homestand. I mean – you know, A.V. mentioned it. He didn't like the fact that when he initially saw the schedule that they would play their first game a week after their last preseason game, and then they would have a four-game homestand. You'd like to get your team out on the road as early as you can because it's a good opportunity for them to start bonding, start getting together, and you'd like to get them out on the road, which is why we saw them for so many years start out on the West Coast, like starting the season with San Jose or, or the Kings. You know, that was by design. That was asked for. Not to mention, it takes out a huge road trip in the middle of the season. So it mitigates, you know, your travel factor in the season. But, you know, it was what it was. And, you know, they got a lot of practice time in. And I thought there were some elements of, of the first four games that were really good and some players specifically, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would term it pretty good. It wasn't great, as you said. that they, they There was more por- points to be gained. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like how the last game played out. I thought there was too much undisciplined play. You can't be in the box seven times. Granted, they killed off six of the seven power plays, but you're, you have such a disruption and lack of flow in the game for so many players that don't kill penalties. 
So that that's a I really that left a bad taste in my mouth. But you know, it was good. It, it was a step in the right direction. It wasn't a step backwards. And they got a lot to build on. Uh, but there's some things that I'm concerned about for sure. In and that first four game series, you know, some people were like tweeting me and sending me messages like, oh, this team's deeper than any team in the last 10 years or this or that. And you know, and I'll just go back and like pull the messages from 2015 when they went on a 10 game win streak and didn't make the play. You know, yeah. like we can't get carried away. It's only the sample size is small and a hockey season is a marathon. It's full of ebbs and flows. You got to peak at the right time. You got to be healthy. And look, Elaine Vino teams traditionally don't get out of the gate well. Not that that's any kind of excuse, but the second half of seasons is where his teams really make their most hay as a, as a total team. We saw that two years ago, and they didn't lose back-to-back games from January 6th until the second round of the playoffs against the Islanders. And they were the second-best record in the NHL over that period. So um, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's chemistry pretty instant chemistry in some areas and other areas where it's got to grow. I would agree. Jack, your thoughts, uh, first impressions. I think you, you have similar thoughts to, to Jason there. Yeah, no, it was well said for sure. Um, just to add to what he already said was uh, based on who they played. I'm um, I feel the same way. Like, you know, Florida's looking like they could really be a team to contend with this year, um, especially against Tampa and their slow start. Uh, so to, to really be looking good, really if it wasn't for the discipline, I think they really could have at least gotten a point out of that game, if not stole the game, uh, especially after that shorthanded goal that was scored. But, you know, that team's good on paper and they're good in practice. So, it, it, and you're down Ryan Ellis. So they didn't get blown out or anything like that. I, that's some of the things I was looking for going against last season. Uh, they they, they look good in, uh, for stretches in every single game they played so far. They've improved. They look faster as a team so far, like, which. Agreed. I really like, you know, cause that's, that's the way of the league now. Like these guys are getting faster and doing a lot of everything. Um, I always thought their forecheck was okay. They just would like stop doing it. Like it seems like they're, they're keeping up the forecheck as the games go on throughout the game. I'm seeing more 60 minute efforts. If it's not 60, it's at least 50, you know, it's not like half the game and their, their first periods have been night and day from what we're used to. Like they're coming out blasting, like, which is, not flyers at all. But the main <laughs> thing, the main thing early for me was that Vancouver game, that second period. That was an absolute nightmare. I I saw the Carter Hart. It's going to be in his head, all this stuff. And thank God for overtime because within the same game, I saw a guy rebound, play so much better, and he carried that into the next game. And it was his three fantastic saves that got them rolled against the Kraken. And that's exactly what you want to see from Carter Hart this early in the season. And on top of that, Martin Jones looked pretty solid too against Boston, you know, and, and they had a lot of shots, shots in that game. Yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of shots that game. So I don't know what the analytics really say, but um, is it perfect? Not, but not, no, of course not. You've got some wrist alignment, missed some time. He's going to take him some time to settle in that pairing in general. We're probably going to talk about, you know, there's, they do need to be more disciplined. It is earlier in the season. They are dealing with injuries and whatnot. Um, but for all that considered and the way things started out, um, I'm pretty satisfied for early in the season right now. One thing you said, I just want to comment on one thing real quick, Jim, you know, they're faster. I don't even know that they're actually, if you lined them all up on the goal line and asked them to skate to the other goal line and timed it and timed the team last year, I don't know that they're any faster, you know what I mean? But they play faster, like they play way faster and nobody can skate as fast as the puck can move. That's like an old adage. It's a stupid cliche in hockey, but it's true. 
And if you play fast, you could appear to be a much faster team than you actually are. Some teams have speed, but they play slow. Other teams aren't don't have that much speed, but they play fast, but they look like they're way faster because of the way they play. And I, what I've noticed is, you know, any turnover that the Flyers force or get in the neutral zone, they are recoiling it on top of the opposition like that. Hmm. And that makes them look faster. Not only that, but like the addition of Ellis and Yandel on the back end and their ability for that first pass out of the zone. Yeah, the six to eight foot pass is one that they're going to make a lot and they're going to make a lot of those and it's easy. But they're also they can also send it up the ice and stretch. And if they can do that, at, I mean, there was nobody they had last year that was a, could stretch the ice. Gostaspare used to be that guy, can't do it anymore uh, to a level that's you know satisfactory combined with his defensive abilities. But Yandel, one of the best in the NHL at that, and Ryan Ellis has, is a great first pass out of the zone to stretch it too. And that makes you look way faster because one second you're watching the game, you're behind your you know down by your goal line, and the next minute you've obtained the offensive zone. And that's tr- that, what that does is that just stresses an opponent relentlessly. And we saw it against the Flyers last year. They would turn pucks over because they didn't get it deep. You give a team two-thirds of the ice to travel instead of the full 200 feet, and it just wears you down. I think that's a big element that is different. They look like they're working a little bit more of the middle of the ice through the neutral zone as well, um, just to have more options because they have those good distributors on the back end to stretch it. So um, I think that's we're looking – for that to get even better, but they appear faster. Like somebody tweeted me and said, James Van Riemsdyk looks faster. Mm-hmm. He's not faster than he was last year or the year before, year before that. He's just playing in a system that makes him look faster because they're moving the puck up the ice a lot quicker. I think that's key right there, right? Because if you, if you ask me, the Flyers as a whole, I don't think they're a fast team. But what you guys are saying they're playing fast, and I think when you're playing fast, you're playing with confidence, right? Because you know. You're dictating. Right, exactly. And we didn't see that last year. Obviously, it was a weird year, but but when, like you said, when, when, you, when you're dictating play, when you're playing with conviction, it makes a huge difference. Um, uh, so what I kind of wanted to go into here, and you, know, you guys were kind of mentioning it with your quick outlet passes, and Flyers are not that they're – I don't want to call them a quick strike team yet because it's only four games, but – you know, when teams are spending time in the Flyers zone and, you know, the Flyers obtain possession of the puck, bang, bang, pass out of the zone. They're breaking the other way. Cam Atkinson's bombing the puck in the back of the net. That's demoralizing to another team, right? Like you just spend a minute in their zone. All of a sudden you're down one nothing or whatever it is. Um, what I wanted to ask you, Jason, does it look like offensively the Flyers as a whole – have this new uh, shoot first mentality, a new shoot first mentality. Cause to me, it looks like maybe Cam Atkinson's rubbing off on some guys, Claude Giroux, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You've seen Giroux on two occasions this year, instead of making that beautiful pass across, you know, the East West pass across the seam for a one timer on the other side, he's just loaded up the, the howitzer and bombed two goals. He, and I mean, he beats Bobrovsky from outside the top of the circle. Yeah. Uh, on the right side on the power play, uh, all these things are equally shocking to me, is that A, he's on the right side, B, he's out that far, C, it's a clear-sighted shot, and he blows it over his blocker <laughs> on a goalie that's really good and was playing good in that game. So uh, that was stunning to me. And then the other one, obviously, he scored. I think that was in game – well, game one, he scored the one. But he's had a couple clear-sighted shots like that where he's just absolutely bombing them. The other one was off the bar high glove. Um, and they're, right now they're a team that's – you know, goals for games played, 
Uh, they're in the top five in the NHL. They're scoring four and a half goals a game. Now, Grant, it's only a four-game sample size. Right. It's still small. I don't – you know, Travis Konechny is a guy that seems to be shooting more and has seemingly has some confidence back in doing so and playing with Giroux and Couturier helps. Uh, Farabee is a guy that – I don't think he was a reluctant shooter before, and I don't think he will be now. But the guy really that we're talking about is Cam Atkinson and what he brings, right? I mean, he's a guy that goes, yeah, give me the puck. I'm going to shoot it. If you're expecting the pass, then shame on you. I love because this guy. Because I'm a shoot first guy. And, you know, I'll, I can shoot off the wing, off the rush, and on my, you know, either side of the ice. There's so much he can do. And he's also a guy that buzzes around the net a lot, too. When he's, he'll beat goalies with his shot, you know, clear sighted shots on, off the rush, but he'll also get some grimy goals down low because he goes to the right areas. And that's how you score 41 in the league. You're not going to, score them all off the rush beauties off the bar right. so he he's been an addition that i think that they the fact that he's there has told everybody that this mentality of no you shoot no 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 here you shoot no you shoot on a three-on-one and then we end up with no shot on goal was a problem you have to get shots to the net thank god man right jack mm. he brings me back to this tweet i'm not gonna say who tweeted it but I put them out there screw them <laughs> all right screw it yeah i think it was that tony and rono or whatever the hell mm. analytic guys or whatever usually i say don't but in this case they said some somebody said something about uh Atkinson being the shoot first guy and their response was something along the lines <laughs> of uh yeah well we've got plenty of uh guys to shoot first guys and it just listed like five flyers who were here last year and it was like you know farabee connect me and i understand those guys can score but there's a difference with a shoot first mentality, you know, and I think that's what Atkinson brought. I think that's what he brings. He, you know, as you said, Jason, like he gets that buck, he's going to shoot. If you're expecting a pass and shame on you, you can't say that about the other guys. Well, yeah, the this other, guy is here to shoot. Yeah. I mean, the other element of it too is, is that the goalie knows he's there, that he's a guy, you know, they didn't have guys that you fear just the shot. Like when line a comes to town, I will tell you that every goalie that faces them is going, Okay, I'm playing line A. I know that this release is insane. It's absolutely absurd. Same thing, obviously, with Ovechkin. Same thing with the, you know great goal scorers, great shooters of the puck. Austin Matthews is another guy. I've asked always, you know, why is he so difficult? Why is he so hard to stop? And they go because he just constantly changes his release points. He'll start it out here. He'll pull it in two inches and fire it with incredible precision and power. He'll pull it all the way into his feet and do the same thing. So he can change his release points. He's so talented and so good that these guys, they get into a goalie's head. So, you know, a lot of guys, when they shoot, just like if you're facing Carey Price, you don't see, sometimes you see a lot of shots go wide. Why is that? Because the players feel like they have to be pinpoint perfect in the corner off the bar to beat them. And you're not going to beat him unless you're perfect because he's so good. And that forces mistakes. And it's the same thing the other way. So I think that mentality that Atkinson brings and also what he brings to the goalies mentality when, when, you know, preparing for the flyers is a little different because when he's on the ice in the offensive zone, you got to know where he is because he will shoot from anywhere. And that's another element to the goaltender, you know, being mentally prepared anytime the pucks in the zone, when certain guys are on the ice, you know, I mean, you can say the goalie has to stay mentally prepared no matter who's on the ice. I get it. But when like a guy like Atkinson is out there, it's a little different. I'm not saying he's a, a shooter like Line A or Ovechkin. He's not. He scored 40 in this league once, 41 goals. But he's a guy that is a shoot first mentality and can beat a goalie 
clean with a shot. He's got to be the MVP of this through four games for the homestand. He's got to be the MVP of the team so far, right? Mm, I would probably go Farabee, to be honest with you. I mean, Farabee's okay. got, Farabee's uh, got the points. six points in four games. I mean, that's especially after getting, a, you know, he gets a six year contract in the offseason a year early before his ELC is even up. That's that's one that a lot of people go, why are you doing that? You don't need to do it yet. And there's a propensity that young players may go, I got the money. I'm good. And, you know, not go out and keep developing and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they know the makeup of, the, of Joel Farabee, though. We don't. That's why they gave him the you contract. Know, yeah, they they knew that there wasn't going to be an issue there. And why do it now? Real simple. Because if he has a huge year this year and you didn't do it, the number's way bigger. Way bigger than five mil yeah. per. <laughs> I think we're all glad <laughs> that they did it. Yeah, I'm always I mean, a fan of these deals. I, I hark back to uh, uh, Roman Yossi with Nashville. They had him locked up for a long oh. time before they had to pay him for a nice cheaper deal. And they were pretty good for quite a while. I'm always a fan of taking a shot at some of those deals. Yeah, if you because if you do and you get it right, like look at Couturier, same yeah. thing, four point three. Yeah. I mean, what have you gotten out of that guy? Point per game player for the last four years, basically. Stalky trophy. Yeah, one of the best defensive forwards, best of face off guys in the league. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, at four point three, that's absurd. <laughs> yeah, that's and, insane. And if he would have went to the open market this off season, I mean, I think his number would have started easily with an eight, probably a nine. Yeah, yeah I thought nine. For I think sure. it was, I thought he was a nine two five open market seven year deal player. So I mean, the fact that it starts with a seven. For an eight-year deal for the Flyers, yeah, there might be a little pain on the back end of that last two years if he if he's a guy that you know really falls off a cliff, you know, north of thirty-four. You know, will ease that pain though. Cup, a Stanley Cup. (laughs) Yeah, but you got to incur risk too. You have to take on risk. Long-term deal doesn't have that though. Like I've never seen one. They all have it, and if anybody's Mm -hmm. not going to fall off like that, it's a guy who probably plays like Bergeron and Couturier is almost identical to that. You know, because at least numbers are. Age by age, you know, year by year, you know, Bergeron at the same age as Couturier the last four years, basically had basically identical numbers. You're right. And, you know, it, he's how old now, Bergeron? 36. And they're talking about extending him. Like, yeah. you know, so it's not going to be that bad. And even if it was, you bite the bullet for now, especially at that price, 7.75. Nobody had that pick. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. And the great thing about that is Sean Couturier said he wanted to win. And one of the things you need to win is you need to have money to spend on other players. So it's a very unselfish move by him. He could have got a lot of money and probably could have got more out of the Flyers, but he wants to be able to, you know, build a team that can win. And if you hog up all the money, it's really difficult to do that, especially in a flat cap world. So he said it last year at the end of the year, I was, I was kind of taken back when he said, he said, you know, I want to stay here. I've loved my time here, but I'm at the point in my career now, not where I want to make more money, but where I want to win something. And the reason why he signed the extension, from my understanding, is the moves that took place this offseason. If it was a stagnant offseason, that deal wouldn't be on that. That deal wouldn't be signed right now. I I was going to say that. Yeah, 100 percent agree, because he after all the whirlwind of moves went down, he signed, you know, it all lines up. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned Farabee's your MVP so far, only four games in. Let's talk a little bit about the chemistry between these two guys because they're so fun to watch, man. Whether it's the penalty kill, power play, five on five, you know, de- throw Derek Broussard in there. But Farabee and Atkinson, instant connection, man. And it's like it's like 
they kind of mirror each other. They're like the same player. One guy's causing a turnover. The other guy goes the other way, breakaway. If Atkinson's causing a turnover, Farabee's gone. And it's, you know, there's so much fun to watch. Can you talk about the chemistry between those two guys? And have you seen two players throughout your, your uh, history of covering this team have chemistry this quickly where they're dangerous at any time on the ice? Yeah, I mean, you see it. Like sometimes chemistry pops up, but it only has a shelf life that's very short two players can just get together and all of a sudden it just works and it's electric, but it's not sustainable. Um, so we'll have to see if th these two are sustainable. You know, I, I keep getting questions from people on social media asking me like, what are they going to do when Kevin Hayes comes back? I'm like, why are we worried about that right now? Yeah. You know, like, let's not worry. There's no reason to worry. It's that's still a ways off. So Dirk Broussard's there right now. It's working. Um, we'll see what they do when, when they're faced with that decision. But um, you know, those two, they just complement each other. Well, uh, I, I don't know where I came up with this, this parallel, but I was like, they're like two honeybees and, and the net is like uh, the honeycomb. It's true. You know, they man. Just, they're just attracted to the net. And both of them, Joel's done a really good job developing his finishing ability to score, whether it's in close or with a shot um, from year one to year two, we saw it. And he certainly seems like he brought it again this year. And the two of them just, I think they think the game the same way It's not yeah. overly large guys but both good skaters and both have good hockey offensive awareness. Like Joel, Joel's made jumps big time. I think in his 200 foot game, he's still got work to do, but I think that he thinks the game offensively at a very high level. And there are guys that know where to a scorer really knows where to get another scorer the puck. That's you know so what true. I mean? Yeah. They, they know where you can score goals from because they've done it and they go, if I was in this situation, I'd like to be right there. And they both get there. You know, you got to get down low. Like 85% of the goals in the NHL are scored within four and a half feet of the net. So if you want to score, go there. And those guys do. Can I also chime in that these these are like two, I don't want to call them blue collar players, but they're not afraid to, to do the dirty work. They play the game tough. They play it, um, you know, a hard brand of hockey to play against. But they also have the skills to put up you know, 25, 30 in Cam Atkinson's case, 40 goals. And, you know, watching them play together, it's, they're so much fun. What I, what I like most about Atkinson is he creates his own turnovers and then he finishes them with goals. It's, it's so much fun to watch. Very active stick, right? He yeah. does everything with a ton of energy. Like I watch him play it. I'm just like, I like, I just want to smile. Cause it's like, he looks like he's having so much fun. Exactly. And I'm like, I don't have any fun anymore. I'm like, I'm, it, <laughs> it pisses me off. I'm like, I'm so damn miserable dude like i'm he, the same way yeah i'm like can i just find a way to like enjoy something and i enjoy watching him play because he's having so much fun with that you know big smile that he's got and always like so energetic looking i mean i'm like the opposite of him i'm like always tired and shitted out and miserable he's always happy with energy and he's great at something He's infectious, man. So like, yeah. So my thing is, imagine like he's making guys like you, you, me, Jack feel like that. Imagine what that does in a in a room, right? Like he's yeah, always smiling, always upbeat, positive. That's it. That's it. Was a huge trade. Love Jake. You know, I hope he does well in Columbus. He is apparently, but if if this team needed a prescription, it was Cam Atkinson. You know, he was I think the perfect addition. Yeah, I think it was a combination of of Atkinson and and kind of what they did more than anything. I think, that, you know, because hockey teams aren't led by individuals, it takes, you know, there's a leadership group, which is usually anywhere between four and eight guys that are the leadership, like that it's pretty pronounced that they're the leadership group. 
Um, and, you know, veteran and there's some young players in that sometimes as well. Uh, but, you know, with the changes that they had, I, I always say it's I think it's really good that when you go into training camp, there's always a couple guys that don't know where the shitter is or the showers are. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're so new the new guys. that they ha- to go to practice. They have to use GPS still because <laughs> they don't know how to get there. Like, I think that's good. I think that puts the players that are here not on notice, but it's just a fresh feeling. And I think I think that that's good to have new blood mixed into the room because it changes the dynamic. And when you change out what they changed out and change in what they changed in that combination, it's totally different team. The dynamics totally different. Ryan Ellis is so different than yeah. Phil Myers, right? And and Nolan Patrick. Well, he's different than anyway. But <laughs> you know, or Rasmus Ristolainen in there now. They haven't had a guy like that. Or a guy like Keith Yandel, who is just insanely funny, but knows when to be serious. And then you add that with Atkinson's energy and everything else, and you have a team that's got a little bit of, of jump in their ass now, because partly because it's different, partly because maybe it's better, but mostly because it gets everybody together. And now as a unit, and you've seen it, They've, they've stood up for teammates more in four games this year than they did all 56 games last year. They sure have. You know, like guys like Nate Thompson, guys like, you know, Zach McEwen will be a part of that too. And then you look at guys like, you know, that, that'll get in there and mix it up. You know, what Nate Thompson did to Nathan Bastion for that <laughs> shenanigans on Giroux. I mean, Bastion wrote a check. Thompson cashed it. <laughs> Absolutely, he did. How about Nick Sealer taking on uh, Alexiak? Yeah, I wouldn't advise to do that again. There's a couple guys in the league you don't want to get, you you see fight very rarely. And it's guys like Alexiak and Char. Because you got to be insane, number one. But he stood in there. You know, I asked him that night. I had him on the uh, postgame show. And I asked him, I said, that's a big boy, man. Did you feel like you bit off a little more than you could chew? He goes, he asked. And I I obliged. Get the hell out of here. You serious? I mean, you have to at that point. What are you going to say? No. Yeah. He said he asked him if you to go. And Sealer said, let's do it. I think that's why he was so fired up after he did it. I mean, I mean, Sealer's a tough customer in his own right, but hey, that, that, yeah, that's a pretty... different weight class. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. That's a 250 albatross. I mean, the dude's like six, Imagine seven. that reach. He's holding you back here, you know? I, can't, I think Sealer did get okay. inside. Yeah, no. I do too. Yeah, all things like, Get in and hang on for dear life, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple of uppercuts. Yeah. But, yeah, that was I've walked stuff. out of the insane. Wells Fargo Center behind Zdeno Chara before. And I can't imagine, and granted, he wasn't on skates when I walked out behind him. And I've been around like Joel Embiid and, you know, seven footers in the NBA. And he is as intimidating physically as that. He is enormous. Like he walks out and it's like arms are so long. He's like itching the back of his kneecap without leaving over, you know, (laughs) he can pull up his socks without having to bend down so big. It's like, and then you see the length of his stick. I mean. It's like, what is that thing? It looks like, you know, like a bamboo javelin. It's so long. <laughs> it's nuts. And he's so big. And I can't imagine trying to fight that guy. And not to mention, he is one ugly bird. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. And all this was during a game that they were up 6-1, 5-1, 6-1. You know, like you, yeah. you wouldn't have seen that uh, last year. It was, uh, I think it sent a message, not just to Seattle, but, you know, teams around the NHL. Yeah, we're up 5-6-1. But we didn't forget what you did earlier in the game, and now you got to pay for it. 
And yep. you have to respect that, I think. Well, that goes beyond that game, too. You know, I had uh, – who was it I had on? Um, oh, I had Derek Broussard the other day on the podcast, and I asked him about that. And he said, it's real simple. Like, that was done for a real simple reason. Giroux, Couturier, Provorov, you're not allowed to touch them. Not in our barn or not anywhere we play. And if you do, then there's going to be a price to play. It's it's not complicated. It's a real simple thing. Like those guys, sorry guys, they're off limits. Do you want to you know mess with them? Okay, at your own peril, because we're going to come after you. That's not how it happening. should be. Yeah, that's how it's got to be. You got to send a message. You know, yep. you just you can't touch these guys. And it, you know, unfortunately, and <laughs> you know, I mentioned last year, and everybody knows what happened last year. It wasn't like that last year. You, like I've I've never seen this a year like last year where other teams were taking liberties with the Flyers. Like you could actually see it. Like, man, if the Flyers had a guy that would knock this off, the other team would think twice. Or when you saw third and fourth line players jacked up to play the Flyers because maybe they can score that night. You know what I mean? They didn't have a guy that could that could put an end to that. I think you mentioned during one of your, uh, I think it was an episode or an interview where you mentioned, uh, you know, putting fear in the opponent. And you know what's funny? I think. Uh, JJ and Jonesy must have listened to that episode. Did you Did you hear that line on the uh, uh, on during the, radio, the broadcast so the other night? It, oh you know. man, yeah, I, they mentioned it. I don't think they gave you credit for it, but they mentioned how you know fear is a big uh, a, a big uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intangible. Yes, like it, you, you can't see that in analytics. And when, Ra- when Rasmus risks the line and plays the game, he wouldn't. He's the type of player that wouldn't steer instill fear into his opponent. You know. Um, not, not just fear, like he completely rattled Coil that led to a, a penalty that he took that led to a goal. Like di- that was a direct comparison to a, a absolute destruction of Charlie Coyle. Like, <laughs> you saw the benefits, like immediate, almost immediately. And you know, it's even beyond fear. It's like now he's rattled, now he's angry, now he's playing stupid, putting his team in a bad situation. Flyers exactly. Up early. Indeed, no, tra- no, no bar grass. Well, do you, yeah. I mean, why that's so big is because if, if you're a player, obviously you're focused on what you have to do, right? Now, as soon as somebody, you know, pummels your ass in the corner, now you're not focused on what you got to do. Now you're focused on how can I get that guy back? Or did the ref see that? How are you not going to call that? You're focused on everything except for what you got to do, you know? So no coincidence, a couple seconds later, whatever it was, later in the shift, uh, Coyle takes a bad tripping penalty on Sanheim. What happens after that? Flyers go to the power play and they score. You can give Ristolainen an assist for that. Like, like that kind of stuff matters. You know, I don't want to get on an, an, an analytics tangent. Um, I just wanted to, uh, you know, give credit to, to Jason there because what you guys said is so true. You know, you yeah, need guys that will still fear. Yeah. I mean, there, you need accountability on the ice. I think we're seeing it. It's not just the Flyers. Look, look around the division. Look around the league. You know, the NHL is a copycat league. When a teams have success with – some a certain formula you see other teams try and replicate it and when the tampa bay lightning got swept by the columbus blue jackets and went out in that offseason got guys like pat maroon barkley gaudreau and blake coleman and put them on their team they they weren't as skilled they weren't as fast um they weren't as dynamic a team adding those guys but they were a team that's much more difficult to beat in the playoffs because of accountability because of character and those things, they just, you're right, they don't show up in a spreadsheet or an algorithm on, for analytics. They don't. They're intangibles, like you guys said. 
but they do they do mean a lot. And the fact that I think you're seeing this, and I talked to Brent Flair in the press box the other night, just just like kind of shooting it with him real quick. And I asked him about it. But I'm like, are you seeing, you know, even in the draft, you know, players that that have some size and physicality, is there higher value on those players now maybe than there was two years ago when it was like everybody wanted the Marner clone, small guy, speed, skills, you know, all of those things where you thought maybe the big guys couldn't play anymore. And he did. He said, yeah, like Tyler Boucher, Brian Boucher's kid, got drafted 10th overall. He's a big boy. I think the reason why he got drafted that high is because he does bring that physicality and some accountability on the ice as well. So I, I think it's coming back into the game, and I, I'm welcoming it. Add storyline, too. You won't got you know those those players breed hate yeah. from the opposition, and that breeds storyline. The the NHL got a little too sanitized over the last couple of years with just like skills and lacrosse goals and Shvechnikov and all that stuff. You know, it's like it kind of lost its soul a little bit. And then we Did saw you... in the playoffs last year, Florida and Tampa. Like, what was that? Nineteen ninety six hockey, man. It was freaking ferocious. Those teams were ready to kill each other for two inches of ice. Could you imagine? Did. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm was, That's my rant. Could you imagine 10, 15 years ago, even 20? I mean, you know, you can go back further. I wasn't around for the 70s. But imagine back in the day, some young kid just getting in the league, trying one of these lacrosse goals. Could you imagine what would happen to this dude? What would you know? Ron Hextall have done to one of those guys? Oh, Could you imagine, God. like, the Holy. disrespect to try that shit on me? Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, if, it's fun if somebody to watch, tried that but... on Hexy. They would have a permanent stain on their forehead that said Victoriaville. <laughs> he would have just smashed that twig right on him. And and that's that's fear. Like you should be afraid to to pull that shit on me because if you do, this is what's going to happen. Like you, like you said, you can't find fear in analytics, and it there's a there's um a, a role for it in the game in sports. You know, intimidation. It's there's a lot of stuff that it's goes also, on up here that you don't see on a piece of paper. Yeah, it's also different now. The young, the athletes of this generation are different. I mean, when I, I remember growing up, I remember I got in a fight with a teammate because he celebrated a little too much when he scored a goal in practice. Uh, I, I got, I got uh, Shvechnikov, the lacrosse goal, in a beer <laughs> league game up eight to nothing. We were playing the Westchester University team that put their team in because they didn't have a season during COVID. And we were just shit kicking them up and down the ice. We were up eight nothing in the second period, and the guy. The guy lacrosse goal me. And I just was like, I looked at my defenseman. We were like, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on Twitter. Nothing. I got the live barn and put it on Twitter. He did a good job with it. So why don't we, we've got a couple comments here. Max Headroom has entered the chat. Anybody, Max Headroom? Yeah, Max Headroom. Guy? You know? No, no. He was, that was uh, like a thing in the 80s. Uh yeah, I don't know what that means. Uh, another he comment like, here from Scott Warner, not liking Kubel and Santin. So I want to get to Sandheim in a little bit. Let's uh, let's get Albi Kubel out of the way here. So, Jack, I'll, I'll let you take this one. Nicholas Albi Kubel. I, I want to praise him at times, but he's undisciplined play, uh, particularly just getting that final, that knee-to-knee. Um, it's a lot of what we – don't want to see. Um, I think we talked before about him playing with different people in the lineup, maybe some more veteran players and, you know, seeing some more structured play, but he's on the fourth line. He's trying to bring that energy, but he's just taking too many 
undisciplined plays. It's 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 people aren't happy with him right now, and it's tough because I know the skills there. I, I know he's capable of more, and he, until he gets his head on straight, it's it's if any negative early on in the season, this is a glaring one. If I had a disappointing disappointing player to this point, yeah, I know four games. It's it's all Cabell. Yeah, and he's a guy. A couple years ago, he was just such a you know, north south relentless four checker. I thought he was their best four checker. And all of a sudden that has changed because of a lack of discipline, not moving his feet, you know, getting caught standing still. And that's when a lot of penalties happen where you reach him with a stick, you know, those kind of things. And he's a guy that's not going to outscore his mistakes on the ice. You know, he's not going to give you so much offense you're willing to overlook, you know, some questionable decision making and, and, you know, putting yourself on the PK. He's not that player, so I think he's a logical guy that maybe even going to come out of the out of the game coming up on Wednesday uh, with Patrick Brown available and McEwen now. Um, so I don't know. He, he was really good two years ago, but last year he was not, and he's not off to a good start. He's not. And so if anybody needed a good start, <laughs> yeah, he did, and he's it's not happening. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, how they handle it, move them forward. If you know if they keep them in the lineup or not. I mean, you if you don't move your feet against Edmonton, holy, you're in a lot of trouble. Especially <laughs> right now, the way they're playing, man. Offensively, oh, they're, they're, they're a yeah. machine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nack, um, I, I like the guy. Uh, Av said he looked good in camp. I don't know if he was pumping his tires or not, but he said he, you know, he did himself some favors over the off season, which, uh, you know, he looks okay to me. But I think once you're in the doghouse, every little bad thing you do is going to be magnified. Um, I don't know if it was intentional knee to knee, but after taking some he of the stuck his leg out, <laughs> did he really? Oh yeah, I watched it a million times. All right, so then it's yeah, like he stuck his leg out. You know, then it's like okay, that, man, that's like, how I feel, Jim. I want to be at first. I want to be like, oh no, it was an accident, and you like right. see it again. You're like, what? I don't know what I can't it. keep. I can't keep fighting this battle. Like I, <laughs> what it is after a while, you know? Yeah. We like them. So it's like, but, but after you keep doing these things, it's like, all right, man, like we got no choice now. I mean, they signed, what'd they sign them to a one year, $1 million deal or something like that. Or was, it's two way though, right? Is it two way? Uh, I think so. I mean, I it had a two year deal, but this is the last year of that deal or something. Okay. Like yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. There's but like, they extended they, them when they didn't bring back Pitlick. Okay. So yeah, this is year two then. Yeah. Needed to go a little cheaper than at that time because with Pitlick. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, kind of move along here to. Well, I don't want to. We'll, we'll get your guys' thoughts. I don't want to say anything positive or negative, but let's get to Rasmus Ristolainen and the Travis Sandheim pair. We haven't seen a whole lot of it really through four games, right? The last game we've seen, you know, things kind of mixed around a little bit. Rasmus Ristolainen and Travis Sandheim. Jason, what were your expectations for this pairing? And what are we seeing now? Are they meeting your expectations? Well, I mean, Ristolainen's only played two games. And Sandheim has now had a variety of partners. Because in one of those games, he played with Justin Braun. And in another one of those games, he played with... um, Who who was his partner last game? Was it... um, I think it was Risto for for most of the game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because Ellis was out. So he's only played two games with her. So, so I don't even know. I mean, coming into the season, it, it's a, it was a big question mark for me. Can those two develop chemistry together? How long does it take? 
Um, can they complement each other? I think their skill sets do, but I just haven't seen enough on the ice to come to some kind of conclusion. And I didn't have any level of expectation coming in because with with Risto, there's another element. He's got raw skill and you know, the situation he was in in Buffalo was not advantageous. He just he's not a number one top pairing right side defenseman. So all of those elements come into play and he's in a in a role here that's far different than being a top pairing defenseman in the NHL. So you know, that's part of it. But also part of it was, you know, he's going to have coming from Buffalo some flawed habits. I, I put it this way. You know, when when you change the oil in your car and you get all that crap all over your hands, you, you go to the gas station, the mechanics got grease all over his hands. Right. And under the fingernails, it doesn't take just one hand washing to get it off. Mm. It's going to take multiple hand washings to get the Buffalo stink and habits off of Ristolainen. I mean, so many different coaches, year in and year out, never made the playoffs. It had to be miserable going to the rink there. So I think it's going to take a little time to, I mean, you're almost looking at him as like a lump of clay. You got to shape him now because he wasn't shaped properly. You know, you're trying to make a sculpture. You know, that looks all right, all right. But eventually you got to just re-squish it down, roll it and go, let's start over and rebuild the guy properly. You know, he's been in the league, what, seven years or whatever, six, seven years. Yeah. Um, but he's never properly been handled between a variety of coaching and a variety of general managers and messages were all different and all over the place. And Buffalo was just such a mess that it's going to take a little while to, to rub that stink off him. He's going to have to be around guys like Claude Giroux and Ryan Ellis and Sean Couturier to see how a pro acts day in and day out preparing. You know, he's physically prepared and all those things. But, you know, to to play a great level at the NHL, you got to you got to check every box. So he, he's going to have to, you know, see those things firsthand till they become his habits. That's funny that you say the rebuilding, the remolding thing, because one thing I noticed, at least early on, like you said, it's only two games and maybe the fact that Sanheim has played to more than him, that has something to do with it. But with Ellis being out, I saw Sanheim get some power play time over Ristolainen, and, and it tells me either it's the game thing or they want him to focus more on being that defensive defenseman. And Sanheim obviously has the offensive skill, but is a string bean. So you know, if they're going to rebuild Ristolainen, at the very least, they're either starting with the defensive, wanting him to focus on his defensive game more, um, or they just want to completely remold him into a defensive first guy. And I see, at least I think I see the early signs of that. And if, as long as they have a straightforward plan that doesn't change, like you were saying, the, you know, Buffalo and all that, you know, it could, it could pay some dividends there. Yeah. I wouldn't read too much into that power play thing. Cause I think part of that is Ristolainen was hurt missing practice and Sanheim has been here and knows what they want to accomplish on the power play. So I wouldn't read too much into that part of it. I'm not saying that he would at some point he would jump over Sanheim, but um, there's a chance that could be part of the equation as well. Just hasn't a chance to practice the power play. He's a guy who's had 40 points a couple of times, four years in a row in this league, as a matter of fact. So, right. Um, and there's a lot of options there. Like, I, I do you think I'm not sure how they roll with it, but like, and I know he's been injured and whatnot, and other guys have been here for a few more years, but if you're looking at this team in the pecking order of the defensemen who get out on the power play, like where do you think he is uh, right now? Who and I'm trying to practice. Like where, where does, how does he uh, get higher up on that list? You're talking about Risto, right? Yeah. Um, to me, he's probably four. 
Uh, I think the order, you know, at the top's really simple. It's Yandel, and then it's Ryan Ellis, and then probably Provorov. Although I don't like that. He's not a great puck handler, you know. Uh, a lot of leaky blue line uh, mishaps. Yeah, I mean, he just he's not he's not a great possessor of the puck. And so I would probably go Ristolainen at this point after that. He may even be five behind Sanheim right now because Sanheim's been here for so long. So I, he's got a lot of work to do to get on the power play. And if Ellis is in the lineup, I don't think he really is going to – it's going to be an option for him. Which makes me th- think and the game thing definitely has a lot to do with it. Those guys all have that, you know, from being with the team, overall especially. And, and I'm a little concerned because um, he's not a good puck handler. We see it bump, bounce over stick a lot. But also with a minute 25 left, goalie pulled, he takes a shot into the pads. And it's just like uh, the defenseman. And I'm just like, you had plenty of time. Like, why are we rushing this? You know, you're only down one. And I, we – Again, that's not a good possessor of the puck if you're taking ill-advised shots with nothing behind you but an empty net. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think we all would rather – and we, as much as I love Provorov, I, anything – I just want to see something else. Not, it doesn't have to be permanent, but I, I just want to see something else out there. And uh, I was curious for Risto because he comes to mind with those 40-point seasons. Yeah. Um, and then just to see Sandheim get the go-ahead. It's super early, like you were saying. He's been hurt. He's only played two games. Just curious how that you know looks to be shaking out. Yeah, I mean, and like the Don Vito here in the comments brings up, he says, I'd like to see Cam York fill in when Ryan Ellis gets hurt. Well, um, Cam will be an option at some point. He's not right now because he's not with the team. He's with the Phantoms. But you can't take Ryan Ellis out of the lineup and put him in. You can't put Cam York in Ryan Ellis's spot, right? You can't have him play in top pairing. There's no way. Like that's, that is not a good recipe. Now, you could bring him up and put him in the lineup and – put him in Ellis's spot on the power play and have him th- play third pair that you could do, but you can't have him come up and fill in. I don't know if he means Ryan Ellis's spot, like with pro Roth, you know, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. That, that, that's what Buffalo does <laughs> rush guys to the NHL and put him in an impossible spot. That's what Montreal does. That's what they did with Jesperi Katakiemi. You know, you can hurt a guy by doing that. So, you know, no you can did. again. You can bring them up, and I think they will at some point, and have them play third pair, and have them, you know, be the second guy for the power play. But, and you know, if Yandel's out at some point, now that hasn't happened since March twenty second of two thousand nine, <laughs> where he's missed a game. But if Yandel's out, then that's a that seems like a prime fit. So we'll see how that plays out. But it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the power play's off to a good start. I got a tweet from a guy the other day said. You know, I said fill in this blank. The 2021-22 Flyers so far are blank. And this guy said power play is still too inconsistent. I was like, huh? I'm like, are you like I felt like saying, are you watching the games? Because they're clicking at a 36.4% right now. That's pretty damn good. It's fourth in the NHL. And Edmonton's clicking at damn near 50%, 47.1. St. Louis at 42.9. The Hurricanes at 37.5 and the Flyers at 36.4 ahead of the Ducks, Blue Jackets, Sabres, Sharks, Predators, and Blackhawks. But, like, how can you say the power play is not consistent enough when it's clicking at 30? Literally, that's like 15 points higher than at the end of the year. What league average will be? It's fourth in the league. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Some people absurd. are married to how they feel. And that's well, it. Well, they, they, I think because something was an issue for years and years, they assume it's an issue now. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
goaltending that comes that's like the first thing you throw out there it's a, it's fun you know we'll never get over it but yeah it, it's frustrating because you're actually seeing it on the ice and uh, even when they don't score i still like the puck movement i still like the puck retrieval i still like the um uh, the board battles, even, you know, the, there's the energies there. They're not just, oh, here we go. We're going to try to enter the zone a third time. And now a minute 20 is gone from the power play. Like, I haven't been seeing that, which mm-hmm. in its own right is a massive upgrade from last year. Well, that's one of the things, like, when we talked about what what's different from the optics of this team this year and the optics of the team last year is, A, winning races to pucks, B, winning way more 50-50 board battles for pucks, and C, playing fast, you know, obtaining the offensive zone with possession, you know, by, by doing that double slingshot pseudo thing that they do, that allows those two guys to have options to read the strong side of the ice and get it to the weak side and get in with possession down by the hash marks and then get the puck on the half wall and eventually work it to Yandel as that center point, man. It's so pronounced what they do on the power play. You can see it so easily when you're watching a game. It's just a simple one, three, one. You know, your high point, man, as soon as they rotate Giroux off or Konechny off to the sidewall, it's literally one, three players straight across, net front. That's what it is. It's so simple to see what they're trying to accomplish. But because they have new personnel that and because Keith Yandel is a distributor, not a shooter, it opens up all options, all sides, all angles. And because they've been moving Giroux around right side, left side, it presents a whole different you know, type of threat offensively. They have a lot more options to be less be be less predictable. They got really predictable on the power play. You know, when Simmons was here, it was feed Simmons at the side of the net. He did their power move or kick it back out. And they go to Gossis Barra for the one-timer bomb that would invariably be wide, right? And JVR in front for the tip was the last couple of years. And, and Giroux off the half wall, one-timing it once in a while. But, you know, it got really predictable especially late in seasons. So this power play with the personnel and Yandel, I think is a huge part of it is that that's the thing. He's a distributor, an elite distributor, power play player. Almost half his points in the NHL are power play points, like 245 power play points. And he's got about 250 even strength points. It's crazy. So I got some where he made it. I got something that the listeners and viewers are going to love. How much credit should we be giving to Michelle Therrien for the flash power play successes? Because when it goes bad, we all want to look at the coach. We got the players. We got Jake Voracek. We got Giroux. They make a couple uh, roster changes. Maybe they get the guys that you know they need for him to run the power play the way he wants. Does he deserve any credit for this? Or is it kind of like, nah? Give it to the players. Yeah, I mean, he gets, he gets some credit for it, sure. If he's going to get blamed, then he's going to get, he has to get a little credit for when things go well. Right. And, and because it's, they didn't get new players and just shove them out there doing what they were doing last year. Mm-hmm. You don't, it doesn't look the same, does it? Mm-hmm. So he changed things. And the league is constantly evolving. You know, you saw it back in like 2014. You saw like the Penguins perfect the East West game and, and passes, as Steve Ellicott will call it, across the Royal Road or the slot line. Because the numbers, when the puck crosses the slot line, which is an imaginary line from the middle of the net to the blue line, the numbers on, you know, the predictability of those pucks going in are way high. Because you have, A, you get the goalie to open up his legs. He has to move across the crease. Better chance of him losing his net. 
there's a lot of decisions that then have to be handed off. And every time there's decisions handed off in the D zone, there's an opportunity for a decision to be made, a mistake being made. And that's why goals are scored. That's why you want to move the puck across. And then, you know, the Penguins kind of started it and LA was doing it a little bit too. But then once Washington got involved in the East West game, it was a whole different ball game, whole mm-hmm. different ball game because they did it. I mean, they, they wrote it to a cup. Now teams are trying to figure out how to defend that, especially on the PK, you know, prevent those East West passes when they can stretch you out a little bit. That's why you got to be careful being too aggressive, but because you got to keep that box tight enough where they can't feed the puck across, you know, down low below the top of the circles for a one-time shot on the East West. Hardest save for a goalie is a layered screen. Second hardest save is one where you got to travel that far from one side of the ice to the other. Here's a trivia question. Somewhat on topic. I wanted to ask it before we ended up getting on the power play a little bit, which is fine because I could talk power play whenever, especially when they're fourth in the league. Um, question for, for you guys, Jack and Jason. We're going to call this little segment prize time. If you're a listener or a viewer, make sure you can answer as well in the comments. You're going to be answering for a chance to win a little HW beanie. It's beanie season. So here's the, uh, the trivia question for you guys. Uh, this is from Hockey Stat Cards. I hope you guys didn't see this on Twitter already. So I got a list of five players here, all with worst single-game performances of the season. Um, and it's for defensemen. The top five is Seth Jones, number one, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, Zdeno Chara, Ryan Graves, Dougie Hamilton. They're top fives for the worst single-game performances uh, of the season. It's, it's some kind of analytic score, but it's irrelevant. The question to you guys is, what do all five of these players have in common? Do you want me to repeat the names again? Yeah. Seth Jones, Rasmus Ristolainen, Zdeno Chara, Ryan Graves, and Dougie Hamilton. What do they have in common? They all have one thing in common. They're all over 6'4". I was going to say, some of their height, height, yeah. I'll give you two seconds. Let me see if anybody's answering in the comments. You got five, four, three... Two. Let me think about it. Wait, give me the names again. Ryan Graves, Zdeno Chara, Dougie Hamilton, Dougie Hamilton, Seth Jones, and Seth Jones. Yep. Um. Scott on the on the comments goes all different teams. That's true. Let me see. Are they all on new teams? That's it. Yeah, because Ryan Graves is now Colorado to to the Devils. Good job, Scott. Scott, you won, buddy. Yeah. I was on a different wavelength completely. I'm like, when were they drafted? Like, no. Yeah, yeah, so so I so well, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, and I have a question that that's from this because you know if if you've been on Twitter, hockey Twitter in any capacity over the last you know, I mean, let me tell you, it's a great now. place. Oh my god, right? <laughs> like no here ever. we are sitting at two and one. The Flyers look decent, and what's Flyers Twitter talking about today? Seth Jones, right? We're digging up old articles. Uh-huh, yeah. People are going, "I'm right, you guys are wrong," right? We're yeah, digging up all the dirt. They're pouring dirt on him out there already after what four games? They're all right, and, and, and worst that's trade of all time. I saw contender for worst trade of all time. I saw already. Well, this is my point because every single player on this five-person list for worst single-game performances of the year is in their second week of a season with a brand new team, right? Yep. They, there's a lot to adjust to, you know, especially if you're on the top, you know, one of the top pairing guys, you know, not, let alone, you know, he's the, played the, two games here. Right. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So uh, that I was played uh, 120 minutes. Right. 
interesting thing I thought I'd bring up, and and nobody got it on uh, Twitter, so I figured I'd bring it up on the show. Stumped oh you guys. God. Damn it! It's like the people that want to give up on player like Morgan Frost. Oh, speaking of Morgan Frost, oh, we boy. do have Morgan Frost as a topic. So uh, why don't we get to him now, and we'll we'll put the cherry on top with the Carter Hart. You can wear the glove at the end. All right. So Morgan Frost. Now we had our prospect guy. John Govon last week talking about mm-hmm. Morgan Frost a little bit. John does bit. Good, good work. Oh, uh, dude, he's fantastic. So uh, Morgan Frost has one assist in four games down in Lehigh right now. Uh, I mentioned our, our head of draft coverage, John Gove, uh, mentioned in the episode last week that Frost looked uninsp- uninspired during the game. Uh, and he was benched uh, for a large portion of the third period and did not play at all during the Flyers' six-on-three opportunity. What's going on with Morgan Frost and Lehigh, Jace? You know, it, it's interesting. And I talked to Morgan and I talked to Joel Farabee about it. And, you know, I talked to Farabee because he went through it. Same thing. You remember he was cut in Czech, in the Czech Republic or whatever it was when they were over there for that game, the mm, yeah. international series or whatever it was called. And he was told by Elaine Vino that he wasn't going to be on the team on that trip and Chuck Fletcher, they informed him and then they were out on the ice stretching before or after practice. And AV went over to him and it was on that mic'd up uh, show that they were doing and just said, Hey, you know, you're going down, just go down do the right things. You'll get back up here and you'll be back up here to stay. You know, I, I know you're disappointed now. These guys aren't used to being cut, right? <laughs> you don't get cut when you're a pro athlete until you get to the pros. They're, they're the best players in their town. You know, they're incredible. So it is, you know, how you deal with it is is hard because you've never been cut before. It's, you know, it, it's difficult to deal with. And when Morgan combines that with the fact that Hayes is hurt, they gave him a great opportunity in the preseason. He thought he did enough. He could have been better, blah, 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 and didn't get it. It may take a little bit of time. I don't want to call it pouting, but it may take a little time to just, you know, refocus, redig in and. Ian LaPerriere saw some things he didn't like, some habits he didn't like. And one thing about Lappy, and I've talked to him a ton, and when I've talked to him at times after games when he is frothing and pissed because he can't stand players not taking of, you know, the things they can control. And that's effort and positioning and conditioning in a game where you don't have a lot of control. Mm-hmm. And Morgan's going to, you know, he benched him in that game and, and that six on three. Maybe a little bit to spite his face because he's your best offensive player. But Morgan's got to respond to it in the right way and get to work, get his game back to a level. Part of this, too, is he hasn't played many games. The guy played basically four periods coming into this year in the last 18 months because of the pandemic. And then he got hurt in, you know, the the first period of the first second game he played last year. So there's going to be a little bit of time for him to get his game back to where it needs to be, which is why it was proper to send him down there. So he'll, uh, he's a very talented player. And you look at his junior numbers, the last two years in junior, they're identical to Claude Giroux. I'm not saying he's going to be Claude Giroux, but, um, but he's got to do the right things. He's got to put in the work and, and take care of business, force their hand to bring him back up and then play well enough where you never give him an excuse to send you back down and you sign one of those contracts like Farabee just signed off your ELC. Joe Farabee did that. He went down. Did everything right. Got back up. Not going down ever again. And uh, there's, a, there's a difference between 
those two players. I mean, when you watch Farabee, you know he's a worker bee. You, you, you called him a, a bee earlier. Like, he's a worker bee, but he also has the skill to play on a, you know, a one or two line, right? Like, we're seeing it. Um, this is not a knock on Morgan Frost by any means. Sounds like a knock is coming. We know that he's offensively gifted and talented, but he is not the same. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. I haven't seen the same spirit from Frost as I've seen from Farabee. The same, mm-hmm. you know, desire to be better than the guy next to him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, part of the, part of that, Jim, is you know when you get to the pro level, even in the AHL, you have to realize that you're not only playing the game when you have the puck. Yeah you're playing and maybe even more important what you do without the puck mm-hmm. when you're, when you're not the one possessing the puck is so paramount, so paramount. And Farabee in his first year had issues with it too. Last year, there were times where he had issues with his play without the puck. And it's going to be something that keeps developing um, because it has to become instinctual and habitual your play without the puck. You can't have to think, Oh, oh crap, I got to go here or I got to do this. And you got to constantly be moving. Morgan's got to learn that. And maybe the fact that he hasn't played is is part of that. I don't want to use that as an excuse, but he's got to bear down and, and you know, sack up and mm. go through it. Yeah, I know you don't want to be there. I don't know you don't want to be riding buses and you want to be staying in the five-star hotels. You earn your way there. Exactly. That's That's the only thing you can do. Those are the guys I want on my team, the guys that earn it, you know? I mean, but, we, but like we, to the original point, like I'm not giving up on the kid. Right, for sure. I mean, look at Danny Breer, how long it took him. Yep. There's guys it takes longer. You know, there's no timetable or, you know, straight line to the, to the NHL unless you're Crosby, McDavid, you know, Ovechkin, generational players. Everybody's on a different arc to get there. It's not a straight line. It takes time. And when you make those jumps from playing junior and dominating offensively to all of a sudden playing against pros and men, and yeah. not dominating. I mean, so many guys have had to change the way they play the game because they can't play that at the NHL level. Look at Scott Lawton. He had huge numbers when he played for Oshawa in the OHL. I talked to Zach McEwen today. Zach McEwen's numbers in the queue with the uh, Gatineau Olympique in his last year, he had 72 points in 65 games. He's a fourth liner in the NHL. He had like 36 goals that year. That is insane. Think about that. To wrap your head around, like, okay, I can't score here. I have to be a checker and a guy that I'm the accountability guy here. Like, what the hell happened, right? Here's where I'm a little bit worried, you know, talking about this, because when when we were talking about Farabee, I think he's got that in him. Like, he could be a third-line player if he had to be. I'm not sure, you know, Morgan Frost, I I can see him on a bottom. He's got top-two-line offensive talent. Is he? Could he potentially play in a bottom six role? You know, I don't know yeah, if he's not he's a checker that kind I mean, of guy. Yeah, it depends on how your team's constructed, but yeah, he's not. He's not going to be a shutdown center. So, but part of me is like, he needs to figure out how to play offense in the NHL, or he may not have a spot. You know, it mm-hmm. might be time to look somewhere else. So I'm just, nah. uh, I'm mean, not all, worried. All the I'm games not... that he's missed, yeah, and I think you have huge consideration how that yeah, stunts. True you know, the development of some young players. So I think he made a really good point, made me personally feel a little bit better with the whole pouting thing. I mean, these guys are human after all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature. It makes sense. 
The one thing I think we're worse scared is what we heard about him over the offseason with the skate zone. You don't have to show up, Morgan, but yeah, wink, wink, probably should. And he just didn't. It's like, that's an easy one. That's an easy way to show the organization you're ready to play in the pros. Uh, you're showing up when you don't have to, technically. Uh, it's also a new regime that didn't draft him. So in the back of your mind, like I, got, I still got to impress these guys. And he just completely, I don't want to say completely kicked, but he kind of like blew that one. And then yeah, a lot of guys like to work with their own like skills coaches and stuff in the summer and they're committed to them. But yeah, I mean, that would have been one where you go, let me, let me change my plans here a little bit. It's at least make an effort. It's something, you know, and it's Mm kind of like, he did come in earlier, um, you know, for the skates and everything. than a lot of guys, he was, I think he was in like, I want to say like August 20th. Um, most guys came in around labor day. So he was in early. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure they would have wanted him training there, you know, in, you know, their facilities and skating and, and they could be on top of them all the time. Um, I know he did come in a couple of times too, uh, to work out, but no, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like those are things you can control. Exactly. And, and that's where we, and then, like I said, you made a good point and it, it, in my mind now. It's like, which one is this? Is this a therapy situation where he goes down, maybe it takes him a little bit, a little bit longer and he figures it out. Or is this like a, and it's the skill levels, not nearly the same, but like a Vorobiev where he made the team. He had two good games, fell off a cliff. And his, he, we were reading that he w- wasn't having the effort to do what he had to do to get back up to that team, you know? And it was like, what happened? Like you get sent down one time because you made the team out of camp and you're on fire. And then you just, that's it. That's the best I got. And now he's not even in the NHL or, or I don't even know if he's in a team's uh, system at this point. Yeah, uh, just out of completely. And it's just, it's like, that's a little dramatic, but I think it's where people are starting to become concerned with, and mm-hmm. you said it perfectly, the things that can, he can control, he's not controlling. And it, it was even a little bit before he didn't make the team out of camp. Um, all the talent in the world, but he's not like Jim brought up. Is he a bottom six style of player? Probably not. And in the league he played in, um, a lot of space, you know, a lot of space given in the, in juniors for guys like that. And it's, is that yeah. not going to translate so well? And it's all these question marks I didn't have before starting to pop up. And at the very least control what you can control. And we're not seeing it yet. I'll give them the, the pout period. Cause I like that, that they are human, but I see, some people are just dramatic. The second he didn't make the team, oh, I've been telling you for years he was terrible, all that crap. Yeah. I'm not there, you know, yeah. but like it, there are starting to be a little bit more red flags, I guess I'll say. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's definitely a cause to, to be concerned because he's not there yet. He is 23 at this point. He has put the body muscle on. But again, the big thing for me is that he hasn't played. You know, four periods of hockey in 20 months is, I guarantee you, the longest period he's gone since he strapped skates on at probably three years old up there in Ontario. <laughs> so um, that's part. I think that's got to be a consideration. It sounds like an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's just a reality. It's a factor. Yeah. Like I'm COVID last year. It's a factor. Yep. I'm not 100 bucks. I had him winning the Calder this year. Now he's got him wearing San Jose colors. <laughs> <laughs> what for Thomas Hurdle? He's yeah. on the East Coast, Chaco. Get him. Get him while he's here. Tomas Hurdle. Save on a plane ticket. Yeah. You could just drive. You could pick him up on the way to Vancouver. <laughs> all right, let's stop. All right. So the topic that uh, I think we were all looking forward to most to talk about was the topic of Carter Hart. 
and never heard. Jace, yeah, right. <laughs> Through four games, I mean, after game one, right? Like the sky's falling. You got guys on Twitter like coming out of the woodworks. I told you he's not the one. He cart stinks. Like trade him now. Like blah blah blah. Like as negative as you can get about Carter Hart for whatever reason. And then, you know, through the, the next two games I think he played in, because we, we said Martin Jones got in one, he looks fine. Like, where did all these people go? They went back to their shanties. Carter Hart is the real deal. I want to hear from you. You're the goalie expert. How does he look through three games, four games so far? He's you, played in three. Yeah. Um, he played the first two, and then Jones got the game against Boston. And then he obviously got the game against Florida to close out the homestand. And wrote, there was a guy that tweeted me and was like, well, Carter Hart can't play in the third game of the season. Tells me all I need to know about him. I'm like, <laughs> God, are you kidding me? I'm like, dude, just delete your account. Yeah, because the backup has to play. And, and then he tweeted me back and said, well, I wouldn't have played uh, Jones until they got on the road. I would have played Hart all four games at home. So I said, okay, let me do the math for you. The last preseason game was on whatever the date was. That game, the first game on the road, is this Wednesday. It would have been 19 days between him playing games. 19 days. And then you're going to throw him in either on the backside of a of a back-to-back 10 p.m. starts in Western Canada, or you're going to play him for the first time against Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, <laughs> and the Edmonton Oilers. Very nice. Okay. As a longtime member of the goalie union, I am telling you that we would file a grievance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you that now because a backup has got to play. You can't go three weeks between games and expect to get anything near a quality start. You can simulate things in practice, but you cannot simulate it close enough to where you can say, that makes him sharp enough to be ready for a game without playing. Okay. That being said, as far as heart goes, uh, game one, there was, a, there was a couple of goals that were weird, right? Like the first, the, the first one that's weird is off pro Ross leg, the end boards, and then bounces in off them. That's, I mean, what, I don't know what he's going to do on that. To, just, that's just a weird chain reaction of events. People say, well, he should have been back on his post already. Well, if he was back on his post when the shot was taken, he'd get eaten up because he'd be too deep in his net. He's out cutting down the angle. It gets blocked, and it's you know like a pinball machine, and it ends up in the net. The other one is, I think it was their third goal. No, their fourth goal, uh, where it gets kind of trapped in his foot. Hmm. And I didn't, I didn't like this goal. It was a weird goal, but I didn't like it, and I'll tell you why. I didn't like it because that's an easy save if you're in the proper positioning if your save selection is proper. So that's what is called a dead angle. If you draw a line from the boards in the bottom hash mark to the far post, that's called a dead angle for a goalie. In that position, being an RVH, have your you know, post leg down and you're into what's called a post integration and a lean and it seals all the things. So if his pad's down there on that shot along the ice, it hits his pad and he just flops his glove right on top of it, right? But he doesn't. And he's still up on his edges. I like for a goalie to stay on his skates too. But in that situation, he should have been in RVH. And because when it gets stuck in his foot between his foot and the post, he feels it there. He's trying to do everything he can to not move because you know that if I move, I'm probably going to knock it in because it's right on the goal line. 
and I can't lean over to cover it because my body doesn't do that. <laughs> it doesn't fold, right? As flexible as they are, your body just doesn't fold where you can cover that puck under your skate with all that equipment on to get a glove on top of it. So I didn't like that because to me, there were, that was a lack of mental engagement in that situation and save selection that's in here. So I didn't like that goal. And I didn't like the first goal, the Podlazic goal, because he gets beat on a clear sighted shot. It was a great shot. It really was. Sometimes stick taps to the guy that shot it. But the reason why I didn't like it, and I looked at it a lot and a lot of people tweeted me and said he was down too soon. He can't go down that soon. And I went back and I, I broke it down on Twitter with the video. A, a, he did not go down too soon. He held his edges well through the release and he got beat up high glove on the short side. And I'm looking at it. I'm just trying to figure out how he got beat in that spot because it's his first career NHL goal. He's not, you know, he's not one of these Patrick line types. And I'm going, well, how did this end up scoring on him? And so I'm looking at his depth, like his depth heels were on the top of the crease. You know, that would be considered pretty aggressive depth in that situation with some other things to consider with a couple other players as options on a rebound. Um, Number one, number two, was he shading short side or long side? He wasn't. He was, I thought his, you know, positioning in the crease was perfect. So I'm looking at those. I'm going, well, but why does he get beat then? And what I found is that he was slightly not square. Now, square is, you know, like just like we use a, a T square when you're building something, it's got to be perfect 90 degree angle, right? Square is when, when I'm straight at you, my shoulders are equal distance to the puck where it's being shot from on the ice. So that's square. If I'm slightly kiltered to the left or to the right, now I'm, I'm trending towards flat. And you don't want to be flat because physically you can't move in the right direction when you're flat, like you can if you're square. And you also change the, the angles that pucks can beat you, especially high, which is what the shot was. So he was slightly off angle and off square to his left which is the short side and his glove side, right? So by doing that, and you got to remember, this is really important because we see shots and we go, oh, that's a high shot. But it's not like playing baseball where you're catching a, puck, a baseball that somebody threw from up here. Mm-hmm. They're shooting a puck from the ice, you know? So it's always coming from down at your feet and up. That's how you're reading it as a goalie. And because he's slightly off square, now get out the glove because I know you guys love the glove. I was waiting for it. <laughs> get out the CCM uh, trapper here. The, uh, the E-Flex uh, 3. Who's was that? It's an E-Flex 3. Curtis McElhenney. Oh, yeah, yeah. McElhenney. Um, but because if he's square, the puck, his glove is here. And he's covering under the bar because he's square. Well, let me start with him off square. So he's off square, so the glove's here. And the puck's able to beat him high under the bar. If he's square, now he's turned this way. All of a sudden, that glove just got closer to the puck which then sharpens the angle it has to go to beat him. And a lot of times that's over the net. So if he's here, it can go in. If he's here, it goes right into the glove. It's that simple. He was just maybe a half an inch off being square, and that changed it. And in the NHL, you can't be a half an inch off being square because it's an unforgiving league, and they'll beat you. And Podlozic did. It was a great shot, but that's why I didn't like the goal because the positioning wasn't perfect, and there wasn't a threat. There was a middle threat that was being covered, and there was a far post threat that was also being covered. He's got to consider those for rebounds and a push to get there. But he 
they're not pass opportunity for the offensive player to pass it and get a one-time shot. So he can play that guy square and straight out, which explains the depth in his read. The fact that his feet are outside the blue paint tells you those other guys were not a pass threat. They're a pass threat. His toes are inside the blue paint, so he can push, and he has less real estate to travel. That tells you his read, but he's just slightly off it there. That'll happen in the beginning of a year. But then you see like the battle save that he made against the Kraken, that third mm-hmm. save in the game that, that you pointed out earlier. I mean, that was ridiculous, right? That changed the game. That changed the momentum. So he's not going to be perfect, uh, but already he looks, to me, he looks really good. His movements are very efficient. The way he's getting around the crease, the way he's reading plays has been very good. Um, like you said, even in that Vancouver game, in the third period in overtime, he was terrific. So there's a lot of work to be done still for him. And uh, he's got such great raw skill and just a great mental approach. I had a chance to spend like 20 minutes with him after practice one day. I was walking out and he was downstairs and we were just kind of shooting shit. And um, I just really liked where he was mentally. Like it just felt a little bit different where he was mentally. And also I, I love that he put a lot of muscle on downstairs in the quads and in the ass in those areas because there's a lot of pushing in this league to get East West and explosiveness. And not that he was ever slow at it before. He's always been a great guy moves very well and is creasing under control and efficient and all those things. Uh, but he's even more powerful now. So that's good. Mm. That is big. Yeah. Uh, I did want to ask you, uh, I, I even took a note down here. And I can't remember what it was. Um, so before I get to that other point, do you think in any way, you know, not starting Hart against the Bruins on, you know, nationally televised game, you think that was somewhat maybe protecting Hart a little bit or you're not putting any stock in anything? You're just no, I was having to get AD. Jones in a game. Yeah, okay. Plain and, and simple. The other thing was I don't think I'm ever going to watch a, a hockey game the same now. I'm going to be looking, we'll see what the goalie's doing. Is he going to be, you know, <laughs> is he going to be out of his crease looking for the shots? You're going to be inside the crease, you know, we pointing it out. He's waiting for the piss. Shoot. Yeah. You, know? you know, well, the people in the stands, you know what they'll be yelling? Shoot. <laughs> for sure. Um, all right. Well, we're coming to the end of the episode here. Uh, any final thoughts, Jack? Any final thoughts for, for Jace before we uh, hang this one up? I mean, it sounds like all things are systems go. Looks good. Uh, real quick, Yeats players of the week. I'm going with the second line. All right, the whole second line. You know, Bassard, <laughs> Pleasant Surprise, Farabee, Atkinson, de facto first line. And uh, Jason's analysis on the goaltending was phenomenal. My God. So, yeah, it was all fantastic. Thanks for coming on. And, you know, hopefully this uh, West Coast trip is successful. Oh, yeah. I always love the late games. Jason, are you a night out? I am, but, um, you know, having the game end at 1 a.m. Because that's the, that's where a lot of my work begins. You know, <laughs> after a post-game, you know, like a 40-minute post-game show, then it's like, okay, now we can do an episode of the podcast. It, it'll be like 3.30 hit the rack time on those nights. At least I'm working from the home studio. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Um, yeah, so we'll be looking out for your for your content. Uh, we'll be up with you, obviously, for, for post-games coming up. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday. Jace, you got anything you want to put out there before we wrap up the show? Nah, just check out the Stick to F1 podcast and uh, Flyers Daily. <laughs> and it. I got a bunch of new stuff coming. I'm not ready to announce everything yet, but a bunch of new stuff coming. Absolute legend. That's going to do it for the episode, boys and girls. Uh, Jace, once again, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, next time you catch us live, 
We'll be doing an HW post game show Wednesday night after the Flyers Canucks game. For Jason, for Jack, I'm Jim. Make sure you guys eat your vegetables. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll we'll see you Wednesday.